I want to tell you this morning about one of the more awkward moments of quite possibly my entire life. And that was back in the summer of 1994. I got to spend a week with my grandma O'Brien, as we often did back during the summers where one of us siblings got to go and just stay with her. And she spoiled us and made us cinnamon toast and we played cards and it was wonderful. Well, that summer a movie had come out and my aunt recommended to my grandma just how good this movie was and that she should take me to it. Now I was 12 at the time and the movie was Forrest Gump. Now, it came out 28 years ago. I'm sorry, I'm going to give some things away. If you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, I apologize. But going to see that movie with my grandma um, was one of the most awkward moments of my life. And I say that because one of the main characters of the movie, Jenny, was completely like given over to the sexual revolution. And during the moments in the film that depicted, let's just say, some of her poor choices, right? Sitting there and like feeling the like just awkward energy coming from my grandma and looking at her, the look of both like horror and just disapproval on her face just really kind of seared into my memory that I can think back to that afternoon in the movie theater in Decatur, Illinois. And I remember later that night overhearing her on the phone with my mom saying, now Johnny's never going to be a priest. So... As you know, it turned out a little bit differently than she expected. And I will just say, kind of like in defense of the movie Forrest Gump, you know, yes, she like fully jumps into the culture, right? And kind of buys into like where happiness is supposed to be found and like following where the heart leads. And it leaves her what? Beaten up and broken. And and it just at the end of the movie, it's just you just kind of see like how torn up she is. Of course, there's some redemption there too. But it's not as though it depicted the sexual revolution as, yeah, everybody dive in because it's all great, because it isn't. And God bless my grandma, I think she was so afraid that me being exposed to something like that was just going to like completely get me off of the right track, right? Well, to be fair, I mean, yeah, there were things about it that I was kind of curious about, but my grandma was married to my grandfather for well over 50 years when he passed away when I was 10. And my other set of grandparents, too, were married for well over 50 years when they died. My parents have been married for over 40 years at this point. Like, their life in living out the law that's written in our heart, their their daily self-sacrifice for each other, had a much greater impact on me than one afternoon or one movie, right? I mean, we are surrounded by the culture, and we see... A lot of things happening around us, right? A lot of temptations to leave the right road. But more is caught than taught. And I was so blessed. I still think I'm probably one of the richest people I know. Not financially, but in the beautiful examples I had in seeing family members who love each other, who lay down their lives for one another, who strive to live out the law. Now, to talk about the law in such a way, especially in our modern American society, it sounds odd to say, like, the law is so good. But my goodness, think about the beautiful responsorial psalm that Flora just sang for us. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. What our Lord hands down to us, as we hear in Deuteronomy, about it being written in our hearts, it's not distant across the sea or up in the sky, it's there with us all the time. 
And when we start to vary from that, to move away from it, what happens? We start to get bloodied and broken and left half dead. And that leads us to this beautiful parable that we all know so well. I mean, my goodness, even, you know, like non-Christians who are just sort of somewhat familiar with the Bible have heard about the Good Samaritan, right? Well, you look at what Jesus is saying and like the very deep nature of this story that he gives to us. I mean, just thinking about in the beginning, this man and where he's leaving and where he's going. Jerusalem is where he's leaving from. And I mean, think about it. We talk about Mount Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem. It's a foretaste of heaven that ultimately that's where we're striving to go. In the book of Revelation, it's this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. It's the living out of the law completely in union with God in that kind of peace. And what is this man doing? Leaving Jerusalem, going down to Jericho. I mean, the actual geography of Jerusalem to Jericho, it's more than a thousand foot drop, and it happens pretty darn quickly, and Jericho is one of the lowest places on the face of the earth, right there by the Dead Sea. And apparently back then they called that road the Blood Highway because there were so many robbers. People didn't often travel by themselves because you needed protection. What does this guy do? Sets us off by himself down the blood highway, right? He's leaving the right path. He's walking away from what he's been given, his good spiritual loving inheritance of loving God with his whole heart, his neighbors himself. He's leaving the path. And the difficult thing is the priests and the Levites, the old rites, they're not able to save him both maybe because they don't want to, they're passing by on the opposite side, or because they're incapable of it. The history of ancient Israel is all over this. I mean, Deuteronomy, what we just heard this morning, is at kind of like the end of the exodus. They're about to enter into the promised land, but they've been so unfaithful, they keep falling. And even once they get into the promised land, they're unfaithful again and again and again. I mean, the whole history of ancient Israel is this relationship with God where they keep being unfaithful. This is the beautiful thing. Even if the priest and the Levite can't take care of business, who does? The Samaritan traveler. Now, who is that? It's Christ himself. Throughout the Gospels, and especially, I mean, you see it in Luke, where he keeps kind of emphasizing the goodness of these outsiders of the Samaritans. Think about coming up here pretty soon. He's going to heal ten lepers. Who comes back to say thank you? The Samaritan. Think about the Gospel of John. Who does Jesus talk to? In fact, we have depicted right down there by the cemetery. The woman at the well in the town of Sychar, a town of Samaria. Jesus affiliates himself with those outsiders a lot. And here's this good Samaritan. He does what? Approaches the man with compassion. He suffers with him. Goes to him. Pours oil and wine over his wounds. What's oil and wine? The sacraments. When you think about that oil that we anoint the baby at baptism, we anoint at confirmation, priests and bishops are anointed at their ordination, and that oil should signal to us the sacraments. Wine. We're about to have the new wine in just a moment. The wine that St. Paul tells us about in the book of Colossians. That what does he do? He makes peace by the blood of his cross, the blood that we participate in in the Eucharist. He pours it all out for us. And and when you look at this too, just his incredible generosity, lifting the man up, taking him to an inn, the church, 
bringing him to this place where he can be cared for and giving these two silver coins. You think about the two, you know, Jesus is fully human and fully divine. He gives his grace. He gives his presence so that this man can be cared for, that he can be kept on the right path. Jesus does this for us. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we who are fallen human beings, who have left the right path, who walk away from Jerusalem all the time, he comes to us. He lifts us up. He bathes those wounds. He doesn't leave us there half dead, but brings us back to life. I would just say this incredible story gives us that way of knowing that Christ is there with us. Like I said, Forrest Gump, I think, does a good job of kind of depicting this is what it's like when you give your all to the sexual revolution. It leaves you bloody and broken. But our Lord loves us too much to leave us there. He comes to us and lifts us up. Remember what St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. He brings us to the inn that is the church so that we can find that lasting peace and rest. And the beautiful thing is, that's for all of us. I had incredible grandparents, but it's not as though John and Lily Eckerd and James and Catherine O'Brien were saints of their own right. No, they were so good because they loved him and because they knew that they were loved by him. And all of us need to know the same thing, to let him pour that oil and wine over our wounds, to be healed in confession when we've fallen for the lie and wandered from the path and then beaten up by the robbers that are all around us in the culture, to know that Christ comes to us, that he loves us, and as we hear in the gospel, that he will come again. But notice, he trusts those two coins to the innkeeper. And who's the innkeeper? Well, of course, you know, it's like, you think about the church, you've got the bishops, you've got priests, you've got religious, but I would also propose that it's grandparents, and it's parents, and it's godparents, and it's fellow parishioners, and it's aunts, and it's uncles. It's those who are entrusted with helping those that are bloodied and broken by the world around us, by our fallen human nature, to know that you don't have to just lay there on the side of the road half dead, that ultimately we have hope, that we can be lifted up again, that our wounds can be healed, that we can be cared for in this inn as we make our way back to the heavenly Jerusalem, to know that Christ is coming and that he entrusts to the innkeeper, which all of us have a vocation to be, to care for those around us. He gives us his very grace in those silver coins. He gives us his very blood from the cross in the Holy Eucharist. Why? So that we can then go out there like him and heal a world that is so bruised and bloodied and broken, that has been lied to about who we are, made in the image and likeness of God, made male and female, to love one another, to bring new life into this world. There's so many lies around us, and the truth has become incarnate to approach us, to lift us up, and to bring us into his lasting peace. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we, as God willing, those who have been lifted up and have been healed, can now become innkeepers, to help lift others up as well, to help our wounded culture to know that we have hope, that the sexual revolution and the way that it ends is not the foregone conclusion of our lives, but rather life with Christ, 
that ultimately we can bring people to him. We can do exactly what Jesus says at the end of the gospel today. Go and do likewise. And why can we do that? Because he, the image of the invisible God, is with us. He approaches us. He lifts us up. And he gives us the strength today and every day to go and do likewise. Praise be Jesus Christ. Amen.